Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Modern Times Podcast with John Guzon and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi there. Well, Karen, another week, another, um, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, scandal, snafu, uh, drama, whatever we want to, what label we want to call it. But it's um, uh, on this border wall with the U.S. and Mexico. Um, the government has now been shut down for nearly 21 days as we speak, and you never know how long it's going to go. It looks like there's no end in sight. Um, lately, they've been talking about a national emergency, at least the Republicans and Donald Trump. Uh, even Lindsey Graham yesterday is coming out and saying he should do it. I don't even really know whether he's just saying, go ahead, make the biggest mistake of your life. Um but it's, it's been taken up steam. Um, we've had a national addresses this week, um, both by um, um, Sir Lies-a-Lot, Donald Trump, um, which <laughs> would just be my, my nice term for him. And then we had, um, I don't know, the, the, the Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi show, which, again, you know, as much as I feel like um, you have to kind of understand that position a little bit more, that address wasn't, wasn't all that great. It seemed like... I mean, the first idea I had was lurch from the Adams family is what Chuck Schumer looked like. And that's what a lot of people are piling on. I think it was a missed opportunity that night. But a lot of other things, um, you know, Trump going to the border. Um, what do you think, you know, starting off where we're at right now? No deal and on the precipice of a national emergency that is planned and thought out, which kind of goes against the idea of a national emergency. Where do you stand on where they are politically right now? Well, Okay seems to me if this were truly a national emergency, as Trump claims it is, then he would have made that statement and declared it the night he gave his bullshit, nothing more than the retread of one of his campaign uh, speeches, speech. But he didn't, because I suspect he was scared off somewhat by whoever left in his train wreck of an administration that has even a modicum of sense probably told him, if you do this, you may not have the constitutional authority. You're already in so much trouble. This could definitely be another reason to impeach you. For one reason, never mind how many Texas landowners would be flocking to court to stop him. Something people may not know, most of the land along the border between Mexico and Texas on the Texas side is privately owned. And guess what? A good chunk of those owners, even ones who voted for Trump, and if you've seen, as I'm sure many of our astute listeners have, uh, if you've seen any of the news reports, turns out they really don't want to give up their land for any wall. So, and, and another thing I want to add on to that, for example, when the Bush administration was trying to further increase the fencing around that, you know, in that vast region, they were sued. And some of those suits are still in court. So it may have been that night when Trump, who frankly, it seemed like he was really mainlining the Adderall. I don't know what the rest of y'all thought, but sure looked funny to me. Um that he was just told, don't do this right now. This is a political firestorm, and even your base may not be there to save you. Well, how can you also have a national emergency when, you, when you're depending on whether it's a national emergency or not, depending on political ramifications? Well, again, he was also using his speech for fundraising. Uh-huh. Doesn't, sure doesn't seem like truly a national emergency 
to me. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not an expert. You, you, you might know more. Uh, maybe some of our listeners know more. Uh, on what constitutes an national emergency. This doesn't, because it isn't. Period, in a story, in a sentence. You know, there are much fewer people crossing the border now than there were, say, 20 years ago. It really reached a plateau around 2000. Then it started dropping when the economy crashed in 2008. <laughs> My apologies, everyone. Um, you know, it's sort of ebbed and flowed since then. Now, the matter with refugees from Central America who are seeking asylum, which they have a legal right to do, doesn't mean they're guaranteed it. It just means they have that right. That's another matter entirely. And, of course, to some degree, you know, for the mainstream media, it's been catnip to show all these images of people in the quote-unquote caravans trying to make a, you know, to use this cliche, a run for the border, more so out of desperation than anything else, because, we, and you and I have talked about this, the, the violence in Central America and countries like Guatemala and Honduras has forced many people to flee. Um, but again, that has nothing to do with those who come here who are undocumented wanting to work. So again, this is, and even if you, I was reading a, a New York Times story the other day Porter went down and talked to people living in New Mexico, Arizona, Texas. And most of them, and I'm sure more than a few of them must have been Republicans and Trump voters, said, there's no crisis here. And frankly, their overall tone was, you know, we really just want to be left alone here. We don't need this. So, you know, John, just to me, and and I don't know what your thought is, I, I think there are two reasons Trump is doing this right now. One of them has to do with revelations connected to the Mueller investigation, i.e. Paul Manafort and the fact that he was handing data information to a Russian affiliate for, about the campaign, which you're not supposed to do. It's highly, and there may not be a concrete law against it, but it is unusual. And then, of course, we learned, I believe yesterday it was announced, Michael Cohen is now going to testify before right. the House in February. Right. Um, so there's that, and we know Trump loves nothing better than a distraction from that. And also just the fact that he has had very little success otherwise. He just got his ass kicked in November, i.e. the GOP lost the House. They lost governorships. You know, the Senate, they gained one or two, but it wasn't a blowout for them there that many thought it might be. Um, and they're just not in a lot of good shape in terms of that. And so he's got to keep this base on his side, if he starts losing them to any significant number, he's really going to have a problem, mm-hmm. even bigger ones than he has now. Right. So, and, you know, practically every word out of his mouth, since this phony speech that he gave, it's just been lies, including, oh, I didn't say Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Many times. And as of a couple days ago, I haven't checked since, um, but it was even still on the uh, Donald Trump website um, that they had to make a down payment, 5 to $10 billion, um, and pay, literally, um, directly. Um, so, you know, I, one of the biggest things I, I think, and, you know, we had talked about this a few days ago, I think, um, but um, 
one of the arguments right now is that, um, you know, why aren't Democrats for the wall or fencing like they were in the past, um, you know, 12 years ago um, when uh, the Secure Fence Act passed? Um, there was a lot of Democrats who were also on, on board with that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is, you know, we don't understand that what they're talking about now, fences, steel slats, um, has been done. And that was the difference between what he was talking about with his, you know, impenetrable, gigantic concrete wall that you couldn't cut through, you couldn't uh, dig under, you couldn't climb over. Um, and now it's going to go back to fencing. And there's already been 700 miles of fencing put up, which is the reason why people were behind it at that time, is that they had thought, and as we know, there wasn't really any fences prior to 1989, um, besides barbed wire, which is really to keep out cattle or sheep or whatever they had that they didn't want to go um, off, of, off of their land. Like you had said, private landowners would put up a, a little fence, but it was just mainly for their own, um, just like they would to a road, um, so they wouldn't lose any, any livestock. Um, so these people that, that that are that are saying, well, Democrats were, used to be for it. Well, they're, they're they you know they they were at the time, and we're I think one of the items we wanted to get into is whether walls actually you know help. Um, there was a study that we're going to talk about. I think a little bit later, I'd like to kind of you know put that off for right now. But um, a lot of that idea of they were for fencing. Why aren't they for it now? Um, and, you know, we both um, lived very close to the border. That's where we met is a, a, a newspaper that was, what, 20 miles, 25 miles to the border um, when we were working there. Um, and, you know, that was around the Naco area. There's fences there, Naco, Arizona, sure. Naco, Mexico. Um, and they're actually the same name, um, in, in, uh, unlike most places where they have a, a different name on one side of the border. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a pedestrian fence there, and it was put up. Um, you know, again, we could talk about whether that that even ultimately works. But the idea is that a lot of those were put up in areas where it was easy to cross in an urban area and you wouldn't be able to see. So, you know, you can argue that the way that it is. But now those spots that don't have fencing are either areas that are so remote or inaccessible otherwise that a, that a, that if they're getting up there, which means like a top of a mountain, um, they're, you know, a fence isn't going to stop them. Um, because they can do whatever, you know, you can cut through it, you can, you know, climb over it, uh, dig underneath it. Um, and so the whole idea, I think, is rather disingenuous and just goes to that idea that this is, again, a political uh, situation. Um, the Us, you know, we had talked about on our previous um, uh, podcast about what um, um, the new, you know, Mexicans, uh, Mexico's new president um uh, AMLO um, uh, is, you know, realizing that a lot of this crisis is coming from Central America, uh, Guatemala and Honduras, and we're still not talking about what drives people to come. And uh, we also know that a lot of these people are trying to declare for asylum. That's what the caravans were all about. They're trying to go through the legal route. No one's trying to get in illegally. Um and there's a lot of pedestrian barrier and 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 uh, a vehicle barrier. So most of the border, there's 700 miles of pedestrian fence, and there's more than that. Um, there's there's uh, it's it's really hard to cross. It's not as easy as people think that it is. And then we go to the idea that most people come from staying overstaying visas, um, and 
that a lot of the drug traffic and, uh, you know, comes through, um, legal ports of entry, which I don't think, you know, everybody I think is, is behind the idea of having more, uh, you know, know, radar sensing into some of these, uh, uh, vehicles of transit, but even that doesn't uh, work because of how you have things packed and they might look exactly the same as heroin or opium or fentanyl or whatever, um, inside of them and how you really determine that. And again, I, you know, you just have to be under the idea. And, you know, politically, the other point that I want to make before I turn it back to you is that where we are in how our government works, the 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 declaration of a national emergency is one thing where you're almost like getting into autocratic behavior where somebody's saying, well, you're not going to pass what I want. I'm going to do what I want anyway. Um, but the idea of what also is happening in the Senate where we're not allowing this president to use his veto. So the, or Mitch McConnell's not allowing the president to use his veto. Um, there is well, no discussion um, that the, uh, the House should be able to do their job. They pass it. It goes to the Senate. The Senate votes it up or down. And then it goes to the president. If the president doesn't want it, then he vetoes it. And all of the political posturing, and people can say that it's one side or the other, um, that, that it's Democrats playing politics. But it, to me, it is obvious that it's Republicans playing politics because we are not, and they are not, using the institutions of the United States government the way that they're supposed to be done. Mitch McConnell's basically saying, well, I'm not going to give it to the president if he's not going to approve it. Well, why not? That's why he has veto power. It, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And the uh, House and the Senate can come up with an, an agreement on their own. Somehow, whatever they decide to vote for and passes out of the Senate— um, is what gets sent to him. And, and it's just this this um, degradation of norms, which, you know, I've been one to to defend the right of, of hey, let's find out what's going on but with, with, with Trump and whatever else he's doing. But when we are getting to the point where we're not even using our legislative bodies for what they're supposed to be done, you know, to me, that's more of a national emergency than the border ever can be. You know, you said it better than I could, John. I mean, look, the House, because obviously if it's controlled by the opposition party now, is more than ready to pass. In fact, they already have, you know, agree with them or not, you know, in in terms of the contents of them, a series of bills to reopen government. Now, with the, you know, sort of the deficit in the Senate, they could still put those up for a vote. And right now, unless I'm wrong here, there are four GOP senators who have now said they will go along with those bills to reopen the government, including Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, i.e. respectfully of Maine and Colorado, two senators who are up for re-election in very blue states, neither one are particularly all that popular. So I think they've got to be very worried about getting close to Trump right now, especially when you look at the case of Dean Heller of Nevada or Martha McSally. Well, now I should know Senator Martha McSally, but we know she ran against Kristen Sinema and didn't win. Um, but, you know, surely they've got to be looking at these examples of states that either are going very blue or are trending in a way towards purple, as Arizona, I think, might be. And they just, I'm, you know, it doesn't seem like they want to be in bed with Trump on this. And also Lisa Murkowski is one of them. I forget the fourth one, but... So, you know, there would be enough votes right now to pass this, and maybe even enough in the Senate to override a veto from Trump. So, again, this is Mitch McConnell, who let 
let's remind everybody whose wife, Elaine Chao, is a member of Trump's cabinet who is simply not, you know, just not interested in following the norms or rules whatsoever. Uh, he's up for re-election next year as well in Kentucky. I mean, I don't think he'd lose, but you, know, you just got to wonder if by now a lot of residents in that state, even if they're the most devout Republicans, aren't getting tired of some of this crap. So McConnell is really the one gunning up the works here. Yeah, he's aiding and abetting Trump, as he has done from the start of this. Now, you know, we've yeah, talked yeah. about um, uh, yeah. about the Secure Fence Act, um, and and that was um, it was they put aside 1.4 billion in 2006 um, for those fences, um, which was 700 miles. Um, it actually ended up costing uh, da, 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 what does it say um, 50 billion. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and then there's going to be um, just just to maintain the current fence that we have is is just for maintenance costs alone. It's one billion dollars over 20 years. Um, there's also it says it's the walls have been breached nine thousand two hundred eighty seven times um, between 2010 and 2015. Um, and the cost is seven hundred eighty four dollars per breach. Um, it, it seems like, you know, and again, I want to get to the, the study that was talking about why, you know, if people don't want immigrants here, um, fences aren't the way to go about it. And that's what, um, you know, people with degrees a lot higher than mine have, have, have been able to determine. Um, and I want to get into that at some point, but it, just on the face of it on rising costs, um, it's a bit, it's inability to get there. Um, and what that initially did, it seems off from what the discussion is now and what um, Trump and um, a lot of, you know, the real, you know, border hawks in uh, both uh, the House and the Senate are discussing. Um, an, an interesting story, I think, that that was in. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying I'm, I'm trying to get it up here. Um, the El Paso Times. Um, there was um, the, the Texas attorney general. Um, said that um, the fence in El Paso proved that um, it drives crime down. Um, and the statistics actually showed that it didn't, um, that the violent crime rate went down until, 20, uh, until 2006. But then from 2006 to 2011, violent crime in, in El Paso actually increased by 17%. And you have um, law enforcement officers in the area saying that um, it has nothing to really do with the fences or what law enforcement does. It has to do with what the people are deciding to do at the time. Um, and so I, I think even that doesn't make much sense. Um, you know, where what do you think we end up getting to? Do you, do you think we can have this debate with the government shut down? Because to me, it seems like the best time to have this debate is in Congress, in committee, um, in the court of public opinion, where it can be fashioned over time instead of forcing it while 800,000 people are either furloughed or not getting paid. Well, obviously, the first goal here is to reopen government. But, I, I mean, that doesn't seem possible when you have a lunatic on one side who is hell-bent 
on, again, trying to appease a base of voters who will represent at most 25 percent of this country. I, you know, I don't, you, I mean, what it would have to, to me, one conceivable way out is you'd have to have the House and Senate pass bills, Trump vetoes them, and then they override him. So then government is open. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a real debate about this and a discussion takes honest brokers on and I hate the term both sides anymore because it is how because of how polluted it has become in our political discourse. But if there have to be honest brokers on both sides of this issue, that's not to say there aren't some Republicans who don't have legitimately thoughtful, rational solutions to dealing with undocumented immigrants and those coming here seeking asylum status. I, I want to hear them if they've got these ideas. Great. But when you've got, again, you've got a man in the Oval Office who will just lie and lie nonstop because he is not well, you know, just looking at him on Tuesday. Again, I'm sorry. I think he was on something. I don't say that lightly. I really don't. Um, You know, and then, you know, you've got to have Democrats who have their act together and have their facts in order and are not going to cave. If by some chance, maybe, just maybe, you have rational adults in the both parties come together and, and find workable solutions, you're fine. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And what, again, what, what complicates this is Trump, because of the Mueller investigation and more disturbing and incriminating revelations that come out of it, I think is just going to continue to harp on this and make it a false issue because he has to have people looking the other way. Now, so I, you know, I just, I think unfortunately, I mean, we're, we're at a bigger impasse besides the government shutdown, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, we talk about a lot of different, um, uh, uh, issues, I guess, with illegal immigration and that's why it has to be discussed. And that's why some, some sort of deal needs to be made. Um, there's a few industries in the United States that, that kind of rely on illegal immigrants to do the work. One is farm workers. Um, you know, everything that you buy in the produce section, every meal you eat at your restaurant, if you don't cook at home, um, is going to cost more apples, grapes, um, you know, everything. Um, and you know, we can, you know, I I still, you know, want to get to the study about people staying, but, um, if you have, we had 400,000, which was a low time of immigration, uh, you know, people caught at the border. People are still going back to wherever they came from. Um, so if you talk about if even, say, there's 400,000 people caught, um, if there was 400,000 people that got through, because that's, that's, that's really, you know, where, you know, where it is. Are they, are they catching more people than are actually coming in? But, it's, but say it's equal. Say, you know, 400,000 people are being caught trying to come into the United States illegally, but 400,000 people actually come in illegally every year. Um, you know, that would, you know, take about 20 years to get to where we are, and we know what these walls have done in the meantime. I mean, it's somewhere between around 12 million people. Um, at those points in time where there was a million people that were being caught, um, you would figure that another million, I mean, in 1986 was 1.8 um, 
uh, you know, I think it was 2004, 2003 was another million people that were actually caught by Border Patrol. Um, if you add that up, um, there would be a lot more people than you would think that would should be living here. But people are still willing and, uh, you know, wanting to go, you know, I mean, not that I want them out of the country necessarily, because we talk about it. So certain industries, we know that the um, the meat packing industry also in the Midwest is is uh, is is filled with illegal immigrants. We'll do the job for cheaper, um, and and we'll do the job that no one else really wants. Um, so there has to be more uh, debate, thought, and 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 really kind of work put into this situation than just this political promise that the the you know that Roger Stone um, you know came up with, which is what. You know, the news also was this week that it was, hey, don't forget about immigration. Talk about building a wall because you build stuff. Right. I, I mean, look, we have huge open borders with both Mexico, of course, and then Canada. And, you know, I'm curious what the numbers are for people who cross the border illegally coming in from Canada uh-huh. to the U.S. I, I think... Those are pretty good numbers, too. But for some reason, the emergency only seems to be from with our southern border. And, you know, you have to wonder why that is exactly. Um, I look Again, we've had fencing in place for a long time in certain areas. It's been effective up to a point. But what's the saying? You have a 50-foot wall, somebody's going to have a 51-foot ladder. There is only... So much these types of structures can do to stop people who are truly determined to enter a country if they do not have perhaps the legal or formal means to do so. And as you mentioned, you know, undocumented workers in this country have long been a big part of this economy. And especially for certain states like, that's right, Texas, never mind California, where I live, um, and, you know, people, I, I just, I'm always amused at people who complain about it, and yet they're not willing, they would not be willing to pay a lot more money for practically everything they buy or eat in a restaurant. They're, you know, the dirty little secret is, and I, I, I'm sorry to say this, but there are a lot of Americans who are perfectly fine with undocumented workers as long as it, as it you know, makes their lifestyle convenient. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, that's a much bigger issue that would take, you know, it's going to take a national discourse and an and attitudinal change and above all a, you know, an immigration reform system that is both fair and, and, you know, by the book and compassionate when merited. We're not talking about hardened criminals who may come here illegally and break the law and, you know, kill people or physically harm them. I, you know, I have no use for such individuals. Um, but again, this is this is a whole other matter that you know, there aren't any quick fixes for. Hmm. The last time we had somebody who really tried, and I will say this was one of his only truly good moments as president, was George W. Bush hmm. came up with I thought a very good policy to deal with illegal immigration, and his own party wasn't interested. Go figure. Yeah, and that and that really was part of what the fence was too. He tried to sure. give them the That's fence right. to get the. Um, deal made um, to you know provide amnesty and allow these people a path to citizenship, and again it was uh, shot down. Um, 
Um, there's two other things before, you know, we're running out of time here. And, you know, really quickly, um, you know, we're lost in this debate is um, what happens ecologically. Um, uh, there's, you know, the Sky Island area. Um, the, uh, there's how many uh, uh, mountain lions, um, other types of things, water that moves from place to place. Um, as we know, you know, I mean, the San Pedro River that runs north from Mexico into the United States um, in uh, Cochise County, southeast Arizona. Um, but there's more than that. There's a lot of different things that, that um, a, a pedestrian barrier, something like that, that would be from um, the ocean to the Rio Grande um, would, would, would really be an ecological disaster. And that's another thing that hasn't been discussed um, recently. Absolutely. It would, it would be devastating for all kinds of plant and animal life. Uh, there's, a, there's a butterfly refuge. It's on the Texas, it's near the Mexican, Mexico border in Texas. That would be totally plowed over for this stupid thing. It's just, there's a, there's a level of cruelty to what Trump and his enablers are doing here. It just, it, it's just, it's, a, it, it's evil. I'm sorry, there's no other way to describe this. And, and again, I think to some degree that may play a smaller role into why I think a lot of Texas landowners don't want this, because they appreciate the role that nature plays for them down there. And also a lot of them do business with, with Mexican people across the border. That's economic, We're not, you know, rather than ecological, but still, it all is tied together. I, I just want to say as a personal observation, I, I was in Arizona last week. You know, we drove from San Diego area through Yuma, and, and uh, you know, when we went into your state, and, of course, you can see signs announcing border crossings with Mexico. Right. And it's funny, John. I didn't see hordes of people. I didn't see any <laughs> chaos. You know, we spent a night in Yuma. I really, you know, it's a nice community. And um, I just saw people going about their, their daily lives uh, from all walks of life uh, where the hotel we stayed, as, as, you know, as, long as, as well as a place or two that we went to eat. Um, and again, I, I think just the idea of a wall separating you know, the two areas is just ludicrous. Yeah, just I mean, we know that that there's also been more drone flights. Um, you know, drug dealers are deciding to just do that and 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 fly it over the pedestrian fences and the um, uh, vehicle barriers that are there now. Um, they're investing in the future. Um, that's right. You know, as, right. As, 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 as much as anybody else is. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it just seems like that, you know, certain urban areas that needed some sort of fence, if you want to go in that idea. And, you know, right after um, I allow you to respond to what I'm saying, um, let's get into this, whether there's actually more immigrants in the United States because of the Secure Fence Act or not. But um, it, it just becomes a situation that um, there in these urban areas, people thought that there needed to be a fence, and that's where they are. And the more we get out of these rural spots, um, the, the, you know, the more useless they become. Um, and it's just a political gambit. Um, again, I, you, know, we, we, you know, we know if you live around the border area, you hear more people um, um, speaking Spanish and more people who are immigrants, illegal immigrants, in places like Phoenix and San Diego than you do right around the border 
um, because they don't want to stay there. Um, and we know that there's a national security area um, where, you know, Border Patrol has you know, super rights to do whatever they want um, within the border area already. Um, and so once they get out, you know, there's the border area isn't really that problem to get them out. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't seem to be an issue when you're down at the border. Um, it's that people see it in other places and people in Missouri go, oh, why are there people speaking Spanish in my community? Where the hell they come from? Um, and that's <laughs> They've been and, there a lot longer than, than people, you know, than these people might think. Oh, yeah. And that's perfectly okay. Of course this it is. This is how it is in 21st century America. Oh, yeah. Well, we know how it is. Um, uh, let's move on to this, um, whether border enforcement backfired. This is a study um, that was done, I think, in 2009. Uh, actually, 2012, 14. I'm trying to find here an actual date on the thing. Um Anyway, um, it was very recent. Um, it's called Why Border Enforcement Backfired. It's by Douglas S. Massey, Jorge Duran, and Karen A. Perrin, um, put out by the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health. Um, and I would just like to um, read the first two sentences of the abstract. And then, we, and then I, will, I want your comment after that. Or actually, I'm going to go with three. In this article, we take undertake a systemic analysis of why border enforcement backfired as a strategy of immigration control in the United States. We argue theoretically that border enforcement emerged as a policy response to a moral panic about the perceived threat of Latino immigration to the United States propounded by self-interested bureaucrats, politicians, and pundits who sought to mobilize political and material resources for their own benefit. The end result was a self-perpetuating cycle of rising enforcement and increased apprehensions that resulted in the militarization of the border in a way that was disconnected from the actual size of the undocumented flow. Right. I, and again, I, I just think reading all these articles and, and being aware of all these statistics, you know, what this all comes back to for me is just a segment, a segment, not all of them, of white Americans who really are scared to death of changing demographics. And I, and I think most of them, you know, are not found in border states because people who grow up in those areas, you know, yeah, they've grown up with people from all walks of life and from Mexico and elsewhere. And that's, perfectly normal and American and right to them. I think, unfortunately, when you have communities in other parts of this country where people are not exposed to, you know, people from different countries, it, it tends to just affect their judgment on this. And I, I again, I, you know, you could argue to some degree that's what to, led to Donald Trump being in the Oval Office, albeit he won by next to nothing in the Electoral College. And even that is questionable. To this day, yeah, I mean the le- that's again that that I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to go too meta here with you on this. No, that's fine. But I I, I think this article is interesting because it just talks about the rise of legal mi- migration goes back to 1965, and I think you know you have that was the 60s, that was you know, the civil rights beginning really of the civil rights era, 
first for African Americans, and then we saw, you know, Latinx. I'm sorry if I don't pronounce that word right, folks. Americans saying, hey, you know, it's time for my voice to be heard as well. You had Native Americans, of course, you had women, uh, Asian Americans, and so forth. Um, so I, I just, I, I think again, there's just, there's just some tougher issues here that. Honestly, there's not, you know, for which I'm not sure there's a lot of laws that can be passed. This is going to require attitudinal changes. And that's not an easy thing to do. But, you know, I, I certainly think, you know, sometimes just ultra-tough border enforcement, it's, it's not going to solve the problem of people coming here undocumented either. Yeah, I mean, it's just not. Yeah, and the the interesting, I mean, it, it, the abstract continues, and it says we show how border militarization affected the behavior of unauthorized migrants and border outcomes to transform undocumented Mexican migration, which, as we know, um, means also anyone else, um, from a circular flow of mail workers going to three states into an eleven million person population of settled families in fifty states. So even this idea that these folks who don't like the idea that there's Mexicans or Spanish speakers living in their neighborhoods, I can pardon my, my uh, Southern accent, but um, um, th- that idea is counter to what, what, what they expect border militarization will give them. Um, where there is, there tends to be a circular flow besides what's going on in Guatemala and Honduras, where those people are just like, I, I, I want to get the hell out. Um, and, and, and so it, it creates a different um, uh, ending than they wanted. So it's it's kind of like saying, hey, you know, I want a gun so 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 no one, uh, you know, robs my house. And then they kill themselves with it. And, and it, it ends up being that that's the idea. It's the same, it's the same uh, short-sighted, uh, I think, approach that doesn't work. I, I totally agree with you, and and I, I think, as any rational person does, we all want, you know, a system where people are following the laws, of course, and certainly those who come here and are undocumented, if they're breaking the law, if they've committed violent crimes, by all means they need to be dealt with to the full extent of the law, and don't deport it. Uh, but... We live in a country of 320 million people, roughly, in an open, free society with free markets, that anybody would honestly believe that somehow either a system of walls or, or lux or whatever is going, again, is going to stop all illegal immigration. They're, they're crazy. That's just not possible. Or the flow of drugs. I mean, we know that there yeah, exactly. is, if, if there's a market, you know. Huh. You're mad, really, because drugs are coming over the border? Well, who do you think's doing them? I've got news for you. It, it may not be the uh, Guatemalan refugee. It's probably your upscale neighbor in uh, an all-white area. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to... I, I don't mean to be stereotypical, but it's probably not just in a low-crime area. You know, It may very well be in a posh neighborhood in St. Louis. Or Boston. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Drugs no drugs no they know no demographic delineation. Uh drugs. Um they they cut across every racial, socioeconomic status that that it that, that exists. And that 
and that is there. And as long as there's billions of dollars to be made, people will be making will be will be bringing illegal drugs into this country no matter what they build. Yes, that's that's just a hard reality, and it's why you've seen. I know we're not going to get into this, but it's why you've seen. You know, the call for legalization of marijuana in more states, uh, right. for starters. Now, I, you know, I don't know how open people would be. I certainly have very mixed emotions about, you know, legalizing harder drugs. But, again, this is just another tough issue in terms of Americans and drug usage that I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, you know, our policymakers, and that includes Republican, Democrats as well as Republicans, have just not really been willing to tackle I mean, some are now, and that's why you have states like the one I'm in, Nevada, Washington, Colorado, you know, at all, who are legalizing pot. Um, but, again, this is just part of a, you know, it's been a debate now for 30-something years about whether drugs should be legalized, because, and it, because it ties back to, uh, you know, illegal activities on, you know, the U.S.-Mexico border and probably the Canadian-U.S. border as well. And, and crime that rises from that. Yeah, and just going back to that, we had talked about that earlier. You had mentioned it, and I looked it up while we were discussing things, and it seems like they're saying that uh, illegal, um, you, know, you know, those apprehended along the Canadian border is up 142% um, uh, in the first half of 2018, but that was still only 445 people. Um, but uh, there's obviously a, you know, a difference um, on what, you know, happens because of most Canadians don't feel a need to have to leave Canada. They feel happy to be there. And, you know, that's also what comes um, up with the ideas that most people don't leave their homes and their, their, their native born country um, without a good reason. And, um, you know, the same thing happened in, 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 you know, with, with a lot of the folks who are here in the United States um, that consider themselves, you know, the true Americans, whether they're Irish background or English background, um, they, you know, folks left England for religious freedom. Um, they left Ireland a lot of the time for the, you know, during the potato famine and different reasons. People will leave when it's bad where they're from. And as long as um, it's, it's, you know, again, we can talk about what the drug war has done to Mexico. Um, which has made a lot of not as much uh, reliance on real industry. Um, there, so there's a whole underground industry. What goes on in Guatemala and Honduras is, has driven people away from there. And, you know, to me, always the answer is that we fix those countries that people want to stay there, not because I don't want them to come here, but because it would be nice if there was a, a nice Guatemala and a nice Honduras. I mean, those places have their own... Um, good things about them, um, and people shouldn't have to be escaping them um, for those reasons. Um, and you know, if 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 people would want to come move to the United States, they can apply legally. And again, we know that a lot of the folks from Guatemala and Honduras are trying to get, um, uh, um, you know, into this country legally. They're not um, just going over the border. I will tell you, last time I was in New York City, I ran into a guy. Um, who said, oh, yeah, I've been to Arizona. I crossed the border there, and he was from Guatemala. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, the, the, and the, in the most populated states from illegal immigrants, Arizona, California, Texas, Nevada, and New Jersey, um, which yeah. I think is, is, is interesting and, and really why 
it doesn't show New York is because they're primarily focused within New York State. I mean, within New York City, not uh, in upstate New York. So it kind of um, uh, diffuses the results there. But um, so people go to you know those major areas and they stay here. Um, the interesting thing I think too about Las Vegas and Nevada is that. Um, a lot of the, a lot of uh, you know folks from Guatemala and Honduras, women who will come across the border, will end up cleaning casinos there where everyone goes. Um, you know, so that's another situation. Um, looking towards the future, to me, I I see the, like I have no idea what's going to you know happen here in the future. Um, it it seems even fifty fifty money that Trump declares an an emergency just because it's his only way out. Uh, otherwise. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of like, well, we're going to have to see the walls come falling down. I have no um, uh, prognostication because I'm just at a loss that we've even gotten here. Uh, Karen, do you have any look at into the future from 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 what might happen of this whole shutdown, lockout, mm-hmm. strike, um, whatever Trump wants to call it? Well, again, because we have somebody in the Oval Office who is not mentally stable. Yeah, you know, he shouldn't be in this job. Okay, period. You know, we don't have an adult uh, in the White House, uh, and that makes it extraordinarily difficult to have a quick solution to this. I, I think what would, to me, would be more realistic. Again, I think I mentioned this earlier, is that the Congress just overrides any veto, opens up the government. Um, maybe they'll give him some money for border security, which again, I think most people are fine with but not some ridiculous monolithic wall. Uh, because Trump doesn't live in reality, he can call that whatever he wants. Um, I, you know, I don't really want to make a prediction. I, again, I just, I think most people do not want a wall. They want this resolved, but not with this country giving up some of its most precious values. Because God knows how many we've already given up over the last two years. Um, so I, again, I just, I'm hoping there are enough Republicans who understand this isn't going to end well for them unless they work to genuinely open up the government without giving into Trump's childish demands. So we'll, we'll see what the the coming week brings. Because you've had had 800,000 federal workers whose lives are upended by this. This is affecting, you know, travel uh, for people who are flying across the country. It's affecting all kinds of things. People say it doesn't matter about government. It absolutely does, because whether you like it or not, every day it has some impact on your life. Hopefully all good. Um, But even if it's shut down like this, it's probably not going to be too good. Karen, thanks again for, for uh, you know, participating in this discussion with me um, for our Modern Times podcast here. Um, you know, so much more to talk about, I think, you know, about uh, I think we can go on forever. This 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 debate has been that way. And I think as we've discussed, it should be a debate we should be having nationally and not with a proverbial gun to our heads, either open the government, uh, uh, you know, either give me the wall to open the government or nothing. Um, this has to be something that we discuss, and it's something that the can's been kicked down the road for too long, but it can't just be this. There has to be some sort of recognition of, of, of what goes on and the way the border should be cyclical. I, you know, there's no other way around that. 
um, and there's more issues to discuss. But thank you for taking the time to discuss it with me today, especially when you're feeling a little under the weather. Um, so yes, thanks. Yes, and thank you. And I, I know this you know, year has not started off uh, very well for our country, but I do wish everybody out there a very happy and healthy 2019. And may it be a better one for us all. Thanks again, Karen, and everyone else. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.